Hi there. Welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick Wainwright, and thank you for joining me today. We will be looking today at the sacrament of baptism, who and how can celebrate it, and what are some of the conditions to receive it. So we know that the sacrament of baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life. It is the gateway or door to the life in the Holy Spirit. In a sense, it is the door which gives access to all the other sacraments. As the fruits of baptism, it frees us from original sin and from all other personal sins. It makes us children of God by giving us, by inserting in us, we could say, the divine life of God. We're incorporated into the mystical body of Christ, which is the church, and therefore we're made members of the Catholic Church. And thanks to this, we share in the mission of Jesus Christ. We become apostles, in a sense. And the doors of heaven are now opened to us through this great sacrament of baptism. Now let us look a little bit at how this sacrament began and some uh, biblical foundations for the teachings on the sacrament of baptism. Before ascending into heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ had charged the apostles with the mission to evangelize the whole world, bringing the truth of the gospel to every people. So we read in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, that Jesus appeared to the apostles, now risen, right, the Lord, and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Up to there, the Acts of the Apostles. So with the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the church began to spread and evangelize, offering baptism and opening the path to salvation to all peoples. One good example of this is what happened to St. Paul and Silas, one of his uh, associates. They were traveling in Macedonia and went to the city of Philippi where some of the people accused St. Paul of disturbing the city. They were both beaten and thrown into prison. And as we read in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, verse 25, while they were praying, there was an earthquake, and the doors of the prison were opened, and all the chains fell off the hands and feet of the prisoners. So the guard heard the commotion. He went to see and saw all the doors open, and he was about to kill himself with his sword. But St. Paul stopped him. And he showed him that they were all still inside, although they could have escaped, and they were not planning to escape. So this was a miraculous event, and they recognized it as a gift and a sign of God. So, of course, the guard could not believe what he was hearing, and he went into the prison cell and fell at their feet, and he asked them what he should do to be saved. St. Paul told him to believe in the Lord Jesus, and he and his family would be saved. And he then received baptism together with all his family. So in the soldier's conversion, we see a certain process that is more or less like this. The guard first asks, what is the path to salvation? Then St. Paul tells him to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the guard embraces the faith in Christ. And finally, he is baptized together with all his family. So in order to be saved, to enter heaven, 
we need to believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized. Of course, we also need to, need to live according to the teachings of our Lord. So baptism is like a necessary door toward salvation. But first we need to believe in the truths of faith. So let us look then at what the church teaches about the, uh, the name of the sacrament and um, how it is prefigured in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So first of all, the name of the sacrament is baptism, and it means to be immersed, plunged, or bathed in water. In a physical way, we are indeed immersed in water or washed with water, depending on the rite that is followed. But in a more profound and spiritual sense, we are immersed in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our sinful being, what in the gospel is called the old man, dies together with Christ's death in order to rise again as a new man without sin with a new spiritual being, or in other words, with the grace of God in us. Of course, death and rebirth are used in a supernatural way. There is a real change in us, but the change happens in a supernatural order. These words are not meant in a sense of a physical death or a physical rebirth, right? As St. Paul says to the Romans, chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, He says the following. He writes the following. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Up to there, St. Paul. So this sacrament, baptism, is also sometimes called the washing of regeneration because we are given a new supernatural birth through the water of baptism and we are born to the supernatural life of God without which we cannot be saved. So how does it appear in the Old Testament? It's already prefigured. The sacrament is already prefigured in the Old Testament. It was prefigured or foreshadowed in different ways. First of all, In the waters that appear in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 2, waters in which the Holy Spirit breathed, making them a wellspring of every other being. So they are symbols of baptism. It is also, baptism is also symbolized in Noah's ark, thanks to which people were saved from the great flood, right? Everybody died in the waters of the flood, but those who had, who were in the ark of Noah, were saved. In the same way, in the world, right, we're in the floods of the world, we are saved through baptism. Now, it was most clearly symbolized in the crossing of the Red Sea, which we read in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, by which the people of God, the people of Israel, were saved from their slavery to Egypt. So, that slavery to Egypt is a symbol of the slavery to sin and to Satan, And the crossing of the Red Sea is a symbol of baptism that gives us freedom. But finally, baptism is also uh, foreshadowed in the crossing of the Jordan River. You can read it in Joshua chapter 3, verse 4. Because just as that crossing of the river allowed them to enter into the promised land, so too baptism allows us to enter into eternal life of heaven. So up to there, the Old Testament. Now let's look at the New Testament. 
let us look at the Gospels. In the Gospels, we read that St. John the Baptist was already offering baptism, but a baptism of repentance. That is a washing with water that only indicated that the person receiving it repented from their sins. However, that baptism of St. John did not forgive sins, but it was a way to prepare the people for the sacrament of baptism that Jesus would institute. Now then we see that Jesus himself was baptized by St. John in the Jordan. And in that event, Jesus himself, who is the source of all holiness and could not have possibly had any sin, was the one who actually sanctified the waters of the whole world by being immersed in them, so as to make them a channel for his grace, a channel of future baptism in the Holy Spirit. However, the baptism of Jesus Christ received its efficacy, its complete efficacy, from the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. So it is from then on that people can be justified, redeemed, thanks to the merits won by Jesus Christ in the moment he died on the cross. As the Catechism says in number 1225, we read, The blood and water that flowed from the pierced side of the crucified Jesus are types, or symbols, I would say, of baptism and the Eucharist, which are the sacraments of new life. From then on, it is possible to be born of water and the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. So, after there, then, the Catechism. Now, later, after the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, the Catholic Church began to administer the sacrament of baptism to those who wanted to receive it and embraced the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see this clearly in the Acts of the Apostles. We read in chapter 2, verse 20, 38, when Peter speaks to the crowd and tells them that they should repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, he says. So up to there, then, uh, the, there's more quotes and citations from the New Testament in which the baptism of people appear. But up to there, with that, I think that with that is enough for uh, explanation of how the progress went from the Old Testament to the New Testament and then to the church. So let us look briefly at how the sacrament of baptism is celebrated and who can celebrate it, right? So in order to receive baptism, we have to be, generally, if we're adults, right, we have to be prepared by accepting the truths taught by Jesus Christ and transmitted to us by the Catholic Church. So we have to be freely embracing the Christian faith. We can, it, it cannot be forced onto us, right? We have to be free to embrace the Christian faith and be completely free to receive baptism. We can't be coerced, right, into baptism. So anyone who has never received baptism can receive baptism, right? So if the question is, who can receive baptism? Well, anyone who has never received baptism before. If you have already been baptized, you you cannot actually receive baptism a second time because it gives us a character, a seal that remains with us forever, and we'll talk about it later, right, and removes original sin. So once we receive baptism, original sin is removed, we're given grace, sanctifying grace, and a seal is in, in, implanted in our hearts, in our soul, and that cannot be repeated once it is received. Now, little children, without the use of reason, can be baptized, because they do have original sin, 
which is a sin which precludes them from entering heaven. And this is why the church has uh, always encouraged the baptism of children soon after their birth. They are baptized not by their own choice or by their own act of faith, but they're baptized in the faith of their parents. That is, the parents are responsible of making that choice for their children, as for many other choices that they do for the children, and they are responsible to teach them the faith and how to live it out faithfully. When the parents are Catholic or Christian, then, they should try to baptize their children as reasonably as possible after their, after their birth, right? As the Catechism teaches, number 1250, the parents would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God were they not to confer baptism shortly after their birth. So, whenever you get married and have a child, make sure you baptize them soon, right? Uh, now, as far as the celebrant of the sacrament, the ordinary or usual men minister of the sacrament is the priest, the bishop, or a deacon. Now, that is under usual or ordinary circumstances. Now, in extraordinary or near-death situations, anyone can baptize as long as they are as long as they use the correct formula and water, and they intend to do what the church intends. So you need to know how to perform the sacrament of, ma of baptism because you may be called on some time or some day in an extraordinary situation to perform the sacrament of baptism on a person who is dying or a child or a baby who is dying. And this is why we're going to talk about how to perform the sacrament of baptism and its essential uh, elements, right? The essential elements, then, to celebrate the sacrament of baptism are the following. You have to use common water, and you pour it three times on the head of the person to be baptized. And meanwhile, you have to say the following words. Uh, first, you have to mention the name of the person. For example, we say Andrew, right? So the child is called Andrew. You say, Andrew, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, while pouring three uh, times water on the head of the child. That is the essential rite and elements of baptism. And those exact words have to be pronounced in order for the sacrament to be valid. If one starts to change the words around or use other synonyms like Creator instead of Father, or Redeemer instead of Son, or we baptize you instead of I baptize you, there may not be any sacrament at all, right? It may be invalid. The sacrament may be invalid, and it is invalid in many cases. So the best thing is to just hang on to the right words, see the right, say the right formula, and go uh, with a sure path, let's say, right? So just as a footnote to all this, or side note, it is important to use the name of the person because that reminds us that God knows each and every one of us personally, by name. Moreover, if possible, right, we should use a Christian name. That is the name of a saint, or uh, the Virgin Mary, or Jesus Christ. Um, because that will give the baptized a role model and an example to imitate. And also an intercessor and protector in heaven 
to whom the baptized will be able to look up to and pray to. Now, in the full celebration of the sacrament, there are other rites, like making the sign of the cross on the child, anointing with oil of the catechumens, and with holy chrism, and so many other smaller rites that complete the rite of baptism. Now, all this is important because the church has always taught us that baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, we, need, uh, we might need a lot more time to explain that uh, statement more in depth, but basically, everyone, each one of us, is conceived with original sin, and that sin, original sin, separates us from God, and therefore bars us from entering heaven. And the only means the church knows and was given by Christ for washing away original sin and giving us sanctifying grace is baptism. That's all we know. However, this mainly applies to those who have received the teaching of the gospel and have had the possibility to request the sacrament. So the question is, what happens if, if one has not received baptism uh, with water? Well, the church teaches that there's other forms of baptism. Right, The first one, baptism of blood, which is when before being able to receive the baptism with water, one is killed for his faith in Jesus Christ or martyred, right? So you become a martyr for Jesus Christ that is equal to being baptized. So it's called baptism of blood. And the other one is called baptism of desire. And that is when either one has already embraced the faith in Jesus Christ and has asked for baptism, but happens to die for some other reason before receiving it, so there is an explicit desire for baptism, or they are willing and open to learn the truth from the Catholic Church or from somebody who's going to teach them the truth about Jesus Christ, and they would like to know who God is, and they would like to know the means to be saved, but for some reason they haven't reached the point of knowing about baptism and happen to die before receiving it. So there is, we say, an implicit desire for baptism. Right, So there's the desire, if they had known about baptism, they would desire to receive it. They just haven't gotten to the right moment to learn about baptism in order to receive it. So that is still a baptism of desire, right? And it's considered enough for salvation, of course, if they live uh, according to the gospel and according to their uh, well-formed conscience, let's say. So finally... When a child dies without receiving baptism, the church can only entrust them to the merciful love of God. So for all this, then, to learn more about all that, I encourage you to read Numbers 1257 to 1261 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So next time, we'll be addressing some of the fruits of the sacrament of baptism, why it is such a treasure, such a grace, and why we should not be negligent either in receiving it ourselves, if we haven't received it, or in providing it to others, particularly children. So, and uh, by the way, I also would like to invite you to a young adult conference that is coming up. Uh, we do this uh, conference for young adults every year called Enkindle. This year it will be held from September 23rd to the 25th in Brooklyn, Michigan, and the topic for this year 
will be on Jesus Christ, his incarnation, and how he is our redeemer and role model. The title then will be Eche Omo, which is the words of Pilate to uh, the crowd when he says, Behold the man. Eche Omo. Know Christ. Know yourself. So for more information and to register, you can Google Enkindle Young Adult Conference Miles Christi and it will show up. Or if you want easier, uh, it would be easier to do this. You can check the link in the description below. And if you'd like to get a $20 discount when you sign up, when you register, use the promo code available also in the description below as well. So thanks for listening. May God bless you. And we will see you next time.